Hello and welcome back my partners in crime. Welcome to Murder Analyze for another true crime. Listen, this crime is gruesome. It's uh, terrible really. It's got twists and turns in it. There's lots going on in this case. It's a very interesting case but it is a very gruesome case and therefore as I always say this is for mature audiences only. Now today's case is the case of the jigsaw killer or jigsaw murder. However, if you'd like to know um, or to say what it's about it's sort of highlighted along the place depending on who you're talking about when we look at this murder and why it's called uh, the jigsaw murder it's because the way that Jeffrey Howe's body was dismembered and left I think in Hertfordshire and Leicestershire counties in the UK now the reason it's called the jigsaw is because where they'd left these different body parts around people started finding didn't they then these body parts in different places so now the police are aware now that someone has been murdered in such a heinous way and it's took a few days for all, all of these body parts really to be found several days really but also you have now different constabularies of police now finding, you know, we have um, a Hertfordshire and then we have uh, Leicestershire police and stuff like this, finding body parts in their jurisdiction. What they want to know is, really, when they come together, is all these body parts, one from the same person, because there could have been multiple, for all they knew, two, who is the person? So they've had to collect all this body parts, severed body parts of Geoffrey Howe, not knowing who he was at the time. So this is why it's called the Jigsaw Murders, because they all had to fit together to give some clear knowledge of really what happened here. First thing they had to find out in this case was who was the victim, and it turned out it was Geoffrey Howe, this 42-year-old kitchen salesman, and ex-chef I think he worked initially as a chef and stuff so he's a you know very nice man very well liked man wasn't into anything at all you know when you now find out that someone like Jeffrey Howe has been murdered in this sort of a way the questions are why how and who that's what the police were looking at really it was like looking a needle in a haystack so all this police now had to do was work out between them all these forces of the best plan of attack to catch a killer like this and the first thing they did was join up and make a plan and really they needed to make this plan because as we go through this case you're going to see just how terrible these people were now the defendants in this case was a person called Stephen Marshall and he was about 42 I think at the time these crimes took place. Now his girlfriend was um, Sarah Bush. Now she was 21 at the time of these murders. 21. So as we go through this case it, it opens up. I'm going to be quite honest with you the murder of Geoffrey Howe, the dismemberment of Geoffrey Howe and the placement of the bodies is probably the simplest bit of this case. 
It's then what happens in court. It's what they say and do as their defences, as their, you know, and, and the things that come out in court that make this case such a fascinating case. So, let's do it. So let's start with Geoffrey Howe. Let's start with the victim here in this case. This 40, 40 I think it was 49 actually, Geoffrey. He's 49 year old, this kitchen salesman I've said before. He was a chef, so I don't think it was your basic kitchens he was selling. I think it was more your industrial type kitchens, you know, for chefs in hotels and different things like that. But whatever kitchens he was selling, he was very good and he made, you know, a, a living. And what everyone knew, knew him said that he was jovial, he was happy, um, you know, very, very nice man and would give you anything. Some of the neighbours have said, you know, at 49, you move into these, you know, apartments in, you know, Southgate and you think, okay, I'm going to sort of retire and just do little bits. So he did have arguments and stuff about the kids playing and everything else. Just general stuff, though. He had two Jaguar cars that um, they said that the neighbours had reported, but actually for about six months, um, they hadn't seen Geoffrey um, driving around or using these cars or arguing with him over these children. So it was unusual, it was unusual that no one had seen Geoffrey in this time. Geoffrey had been married twice before, I think, and um, but you're really an ordinary man you know, living a, an ordinary life, his life, um, not harming anyone really, just actually quite a friendly and giving person. And you can see by his character how he then becomes connected to someone like Stephen Marshall. The Stephen Marshall, at the time actually of this measure, he's 38, he was 38 years old. He was, um, I think an ex-bodybuilder, an ex-bouncer, I think he owned a gym. He was from Boreham Wood in Hertfordshire. He was actually meant to be quite a violent man, to tell the truth. And um, when you look at Geoffrey Howen and him, it, you know, they don't fit, right? Uh, Marshall's lifestyle to Geoffrey Howe's lifestyle was miles apart. They should never have met. But I think with Marshall, when you... Um, I don't think I don't think anyone, not one person, that they spoke to about Marshall had really a good word for him. He's very aggressive. He's very violent. He would attack you in, in in seconds anyway. But you know, quite up himself really. Thought he was something. Quite a big man. He was a bouncer. He'd been a bouncer in the 90s, and that's relevant. And that's going to be relevant as we come through this case. And um, you know, I think he did once own a gym. I don't think he still did. Now, how um, um, Stephen Marshall and Geoffrey Howe met, Stephen was a work associate of his in some form, don't know in what way, but he was. And also, that's why Geoffrey Howe rented a room in his two-bedroom apartment in London, Southgate, to Stephen Marshall. So he'd rented him a room. Now you brought this man, not only as a work associate, where you say hi, and he's probably lovely at work, his personality is normal, you know, he's getting on with everyone. You've now brought this man into your home. And that was the biggest mistake, wasn't it, really, for Geoffrey? That really was. So, as I've said to you before about Geoffrey Howe's personality, so he'd met, and I think this explains it, actually, 
probably better. He'd met Stephen as an associate through work. He'd used to go out for drinks after work, like most people do when you you, you know you work in you know in different environments. You go out and you have drinks, and Jeffrey Howe felt quite sorry for um, Stephen Marshall. He needed somewhere to live. So in 2008, um, Jeffrey Howe offered Stephen Marshall and his girlfriend at the time, Sarah Bush, his 21-year-old, a room without paying any rent for this room. He offered him it because he wanted to help him out. He wanted to help this man out. And so he let them move into his property with him because he didn't need both rooms. He didn't. He wasn't making any money out of it either. He let them use it for free. Just give him the room because he was a friend. And a work associate, he'd had little drinks of him after work. They built a little relationship. Have the room, mate. You know, don't worry. You haven't got to pay me any rent. That was in 2008. Jeffrey Howe was dead by 2009. Now look, this Sarah Bush. It's stated and it has been stated a few times in a few different things that we put up that she was a sex worker. Now she was 21 year old. Stephen Marshall was 38 year old man, ex-bouncer, quite violent, well known to be quite violent man. Didn't have much, did he, really? You know, he had nothing. He was working, he couldn't even afford rent. Listen, and rent in London's, you know, expensive if you want your own place, but he, he was moved out of Boreham Wood for a reason. He was actually brought up in St Albans in Hertfordshire. Then he'd got a job, moved, and I think she was um, from Southgate, uh, Sarah Bush, this 21-year-old, you know, uh, she was a you know, sex worker. She was from Southgate. And she met him, they joined up, and then really, then um, Geoffrey Howe came into it by giving him the room. This is how this whole thing really started here. This is what really ended Geoffrey Howe's life. The kindness ended his life. There's some other little bits about Sarah, and I'll, I'm trying to, with Sarah Bush, we have to look at this as from Stephen's point of view. He had met her when she was a prostitute. That's when he met her. He had hired her as a prostitute. He then sort of took control over her and he changed her name to Sarah, right? You know, she already had had a child. She'd been brought up in care. She had a child at 15. It, I think the child died at, at, at 10 days old. Listen, this girl didn't have a good start in life. She didn't at all. People in care don't have the best of times. They don't. They really don't. Even if you have the best foster parents going, you still have issues from being put into care. Because most children, when they're put into care, believe it's their fault, don't they? What have I done wrong for someone to take me away from my parents? Because as children, they don't relate that parent to being bad, even if they're being beaten or anything else. That's all they usually know. So Sarah's background really means something here. It really should 
um, mean how controlling Stephen Marshall was over her. When we talk about coercive control, this is it. You have someone of 21 year old now being brought in to you, you know someone like Stephen Marshall's life. This violent, aggressive man, controlling man. Now he's changing your name. Now you're with him. You're no longer doing your job anymore. I'm going to look after you. Then he brings her in to the worst thing he could do was bring her in to the murder of Geoffrey Howe. Horrific murder. And this girl was there. She was there. So I think her background is really important here when we look at really was she capable of doing this crime anyone's capable but did she do it and as we come down into the trial actually before the trial as we come down into when they're arrested you can see the behavior of both now um, changing but her in her background is just as important as Stephen Marshall's background can't find too much out about him really but he all we need all we need to know about Stephen Marshall is what there was not one person that you could speak to about Stephen Marshall that would tell you uh, a good thing about him absolutely not so it's believed and it's theories I think to tell you the truth but it is believed that on the 8th or 9th of March 2009 Stephen Marshall entered um, Jeffrey's bedroom probably when Jeffrey was asleep and stabbed him to death and Sarah Bush would have been present at that time of that murder without a doubt she was there after the murder Stephen Marshall then takes Geoffrey Howe's body to the bathroom and starts to dismember it. He's cut off his head, his arms, his legs and then has a plan of what he's going to do with these body parts. Now cutting up a body is not easy. It's really not. There's an art to it. But you can learn how to do it and you see there's no rush here. Stephen Marshall and Miss Bush wasn't in any rush, was they? They wasn't. They could have took their time in this bathroom to dismember this body. They probably did. It's not easy. Geoffrey Howe wasn't a, a small man. He wasn't. If they'd had any sense, you know, did they leave him to decay a little bit to make it easier? Don't know. Or did they want to get rid of this body as quick as possible but what they did then was start then to dissect parts of his body put them in like hold all bags and stuff because we don't really know what's going on do we in Stephen Marshall's mind at this point or actually in Sarah Bush's mind if she is witnessing this or actually may not have done the murder but you are witnessing this You've witnessed a man being stabbed to death, took to a bathroom and dismembered. Bloody shocking, really. Now, on the 27th of March, 
we had the first body part found. Now I think it's cottered, cottered in or cottered in Hertfordshire, I'll put the map up, you can see it, of where these were found. That was the first body part found. So that was a leg, I think it was. Yeah, it was a leg and the foot was still attached. That was the first body part found on the 22nd. So they believe that Geoffrey Howe was murdered between the 8th and 9th. This gives quite a long time for them to dismember a body and then start to dump the body parts. People don't know, again, all theories, if they dumped all the body parts in one day or they've done it staggering over time. We don't really know. It's all theories. So on the 29th now of March, your second body part was found. I think it was the left forearm and I think it was um, dismembered from the elbow down to the wrist. Now that was found on a grass verge in um, Drover's Lane in Wheat Hampstead in Hertfordshire. So they're driving around, they're chucking these body parts out. Again, found one was found in the green holdall, this one was found in another bag. Then on the 31st of March, now we have the head. Right, the head was unearthed by a farmer uh, in a cattle pen and that was in Leicestershire. So they took the head further away right, they further away, um, the flesh had been removed, the eyes and ears and the neck had been cut off, cut off the neck, so they removed the ears, they removed the eyes, <laughs> I mean you don't just dismember the body, they've removed body parts as well, that's what this, these people have done, whether she was a part of that when she was there, she was in the car dropping off these body parts of this poor man, Geoffrey Howe. This is what she done. And when you find out the reason why they've done it, shocking, really. Anyway, 7th of April, the right leg was found uh, in a holdall near, um, by, uh, near um, I think, Puckridge in Hertfordshire. 11th of April, then the torso, the right arm and upper left arm were discovered in a ditch by a walker near um, uh, Standon in Hertfordshire inside a green suitcase, so he tried to put it all in there. And it was the same brand as the holder that was used within the first one. And that's sort of the parts then. So this is what I'm saying from the 22nd of March to the 11th of April now. We have body parts being found in all different areas, a lot in Hertfordshire, but also other areas. So now we have a police force now coming together because listen, when that, that first body part was found, there's a murder investigation going because you know now there's other body parts coming. They knew it, the police. But I think they were baffled at first thinking, who would just leave one, you know, one body part? This is where this jigsaw murder now starts to take on this investigation. This police really had their work cut out in this one, absolutely. There was no going back now, they had to actually find out first who was the victim. Who was the victim, how he died, where he died and why. Right, so this investigation started now. Now, at first it started with Bedfordshire and Hertfordshire Police and I think it was Superintendent Michael Hallen from Bedfordshire Police and then the Major Crimes Unit, then 
led this investigation really because it was really now important it, you know because they didn't know if they had a serial killer on their hands when you have a murderer like this that can you know we, we know this person's been killed we know this person's been dismembered who else who's next that's really what was important to the police to really put this you know puzzle together this jigsaw puzzle together and that is first finding out who is the victim once they found out who Jeffrey Howe was then they could work back from that now it's interesting in this case when you think about um, this pair of killers really that Jeffrey Howe had a flat in Westgate London he was living there he had money in the bank he had been working not many people had seen him um, for around six months really so you could they, they knew something so the police the first thing once they've identified it is Jeffrey Howe whose um, body parts there they've then gone to the flat because he owns it the flat and who answers the door but Stephen Marshall and who is there with Stephen Marshall with Sarah Bush in this flat which is spotlessly clean spotlessly clean but they are here they are asked where is Jeffrey they couldn't really give him an answer they just said he was away they were saying different sort of things like this but they were suspicious uh, the police were suspicious of, of them actually so suspicious the constable that came out of the house actually rung the detective and said yeah what do you want us to do because says we we, we think there's something wrong here and they was told then to come back and then the, the, the task force itself was then set up to find out really but I think they knew straight away really that um, Stephen Marshall and uh, Sarah Bush had something to do with this murder I think it was quite clear quite obvious right from the beginning again that comes paramount later on when we go into court and we hear about what Stephen's sort of said um, to how clever you think he is. So in the meantime, of course, the police now are still trying to find um, anything to do with Jeffrey House. So of course, all his bank records are checked, aren't, it? aren't they? The phone, the CCTV, everything's checked. And it turns out what this pair had done to um, Jeffrey's bank accounts is that they've, uh, probably about the day after um, they'd murdered him, they was online doing online shopping using his cards uh, they'd done that for a few days different things all different supermarkets and different shops like little woods and all this stuff i think they use it very there's quite a lot of um expenditure coming out of his bank and then what they did they started writing checks you see i think one of the checks was at 850 pounds wrote to stephen marshall from jeffrey howe's account a check he went into the bank, put the check in the account uh, in the bank for 850 pounds. That wasn't all they did, though, because now we have, you know, you thinking if Jeffrey Howe's gone away, where's his cars? Because he had two jacks. What they had done, these, you know, really intelligent killers. They had sold one of the cars on eBay. You know, and there fingerprints were on the receipt they'd sold his car now you wouldn't do that you wouldn't use his bank account you wouldn't do all that 
sell his cars and actually keep his number plate, which was a personalised number plate, sell, swap number plates, and then I think Stephen Marshall even had the cheek to go into a petrol station and he'd put um, their number plates of um, Jeffrey Howe's number plates on his own vehicle, filled his car up with petrol and didn't pay for it and drove off. So these are all then hitting flags because when you drive into a petrol station you have of course number plate recognition because if you do that and you drive away that's going to flag up the police are going to be looking for you so now Jeffrey Howe's car has come up in taking petrol from a petrol station you see petrol stations have got CCTV so on the CCTV it's not Jeffrey Howe's car it's Stephen Marshall's car with Jeffrey Howe's number plates on it and Stephen Marshall filling the car up with petrol this is how stupid this man is which again is relevant as we go through now into where this pair have been arrested now the fun really starts doesn't it so okay this investigation is going on the police believe they now know from the evidence that they had gained what we just talked about CCTV evidence uh, the selling of the cars, using of the finances, I think they used about five and a half thousand or five thousand eight hundred pounds of Steve uh, of um, Jeffrey Howe's money after he had died so really that's what it come about they lived in his flat, they were living in this flat rent free anyway before they even killed him but that wasn't enough it wasn't enough was it for Stephen Marshall he wanted Jeffrey Howe's life really he wanted it he took it he killed that man in his sleep and the police knew that he knew they knew that they had done it they just couldn't find where they knew now they now knew why because of the money and the car this it was it was greed it was financial gain really why they killed Jeffrey Howe really for five thousand odd pounds and and to set you know it's just shocking isn't it really but see now the police are on him so they've now gone with a warrant now to search of course Jeffrey's home because they need to find out whether this was the crime scene because remember on the face of it the flat was in perfect condition perfectly clean oh it had a, it had a really good clean up but you see the police are very thorough when they're looking for a crime scene that they know you know you've chopped up a body in this place there is going to be blood no matter how much you try and get rid of it so they lift the carpets now they found multiple blood splatter multiple blood pools of blood both in the bedroom and in the bathroom so they knew now that's how they now knew that Jeffrey Howe was stabbed to death in his bed probably asleep didn't know what was coming hopefully it was quick for Jeffrey then after that they took his body to the bathroom and dismembered it in there when you are dismembering a body in a bathroom in a standard everyday bathroom there is always going to be blood evidence left of course there is no matter how much you think you can clean it up you can't because it's going to go under the tiles it's going to go blood will go anywhere DNA and blood will go anywhere they couldn't get rid of it and that's how they were caught.
but of course you know you've got Stephen Marshall now arrested you've got Sarah Bush arrested you know this you know one's 38 one's 21 told you about the background of Sarah but then you see as they're in being interviewed all he's saying is no comment no comment no comment which is his legal right to do you know you don't have to say anything until you know all this sort of stuff he can say that he doesn't have to say a word but if he is your friend someone that puts you up someone that's given you free accommodation you and your girlfriend for a year wouldn't you want to know what's happened to Jeffrey Howe if you had nothing to do with it so this police's suspicion was heightened anyway then because you have a man now and a girl that really are not having none of it there's just no comment no comment no comment that was it for every question every question then all of a sudden something changes when the evidence starts coming in so then it's right so we have to think overwhelming evidence on this pair overwhelming from DNA CCTV they've used you know fingerprint analysis was done on the receipts they've sold his goods they've done everything they can do to really make their self look as guilty as possible and without doubt it was overwhelming this evidence but then we have to talk about now when they started to realize hang on a minute okay I think they've got us here they go to this cutthroat defense right now a cutthroat defense is where either party because you have two people here that were both charged with murder right both charged with murder so one's now saying the other one did it and they're saying they did it a cutthroat defense who did it who did it did they both hard to prove isn't it really and we spoke before about you know the weight of evidence that you have to have to prove it and when you have two now defendants saying oh, it wasn't me it was her or it wasn't it wasn't me it was him that's how it went on for ages anyway they both went into court both charged with murder of um poor jeffrey and um, the trial started and I think the trial was, uh, first of all it went to, um, well actually all this questioning, I know a lot of people in Hertfordshire like to know sort of where they was questioned. They was questioned in Hatfield Police Station actually by the Serious Crime <coughs> Unit and the task force there. Then they went to Stevenage Magistrate Court where then it was caught up because you know that the, the crime was so severe it's then upped and then the trial was actually held in St Albans Crown Court and that began I think on the 12th of January 2010 is when this trial began now don't forget Stephen um, Marshall has said all this way through not guilty not guilty not guilty that was his plea and her not guilty she never said she was guilty of anything all the way through we're getting about three weeks into this trial all this overwhelming evidence is coming in all of a sudden <laughs> Stephen Marshall changes his plea after all that after all them interviews in Hatfield Police Station no comment no comment no comment for someone a man 
that was meant to look after you, help you out, me and mate, you couldn't even make a comment about it. It just was terrible. And that went for her as well. No comment. They get into the court, the first court, at um, Stevenage Magistrates Court. Then there's, you know, what's your plea? Not guilty. Both of them are right, up to Crown then for trial. They go into there, they plead not guilty three weeks into this uh, this case, which is now costing thousands. This man then changes his plea to guilty. He's, he says he's guilty. Now what that does then for Sarah Bush, because she's continually said she's not guilty, and we'll get rid of Sarah Bush now because really that we're done with her. I've explained to you really about her background and she was probably under some control. But even so, even so, really, to see someone be murdered like that, dismembered, and you've helped them, you know, to get rid of the body parts, is a disgrace. You know, there is no excuse at 21 to know what you're doing was wrong. Really, there isn't. But because she didn't plead guilty to anything, she'd already pleaded not guilty continuously through it, he then pleads guilty. Sarah Bush is then, I think, she was um, she was done for um, perverting the course of justice and disposing of the body parts. She received three years and nine months. Three years and nine months. That's her done. Now let's move on to Stephen Marshall. So, as I've said, he's now in court. I bet they couldn't believe it in this court. I've never heard of it. I don't think, I don't, I don't even think these police or uh, the prosecution must have thought, what's going on? Midway through a trial, you plead guilty to the murder. The, listen, the evidence was so overwhelming for this. But you see, he didn't stop there. Marshall, he didn't stop at that. Just pleading guilty to that one. He then says, I've done four more. Four more, he says he's done. Out of the blue. Just wants to say it. Not only have I killed four more people, I've chopped them up and disposed of their bodies. Okay, I bet the, the I, you know, I would have loved to be in this courtroom because I've, I've, I don't be, I've never heard of anything like it. I don't think you're ever hear anything like it again. But then it sort of gets worse then because he said, well, I'm a, I was a member in the 90s, I was a bouncer, and I was a member of the criminal underworld, and I was the hitman for them, and I dismembered at least four bodies, disposed of that in that way for them. What do you think to that then? I mean... You're going to have your opinion, and I've got mine. So I'd like to hear your opinion. But here's mine on Stephen Marshall's confession while under trial for one murder and admits to four. Uh, this Stephen Marshall, yes, he's violent. Yes, he's cut up a body, and he's done quite a good job of it by all accounts. But he, could have, he had time, you see, to do that and learn that. So do I believe Stephen Marshall's account of his life in the 90s and what he done? No. I think he's a fantasist 
I think he's watched too much TV. I think he thought I'm going to go to prison here because the evidence was so overwhelming for a very long time. And I've spoke before what prisons are like for people like him because this man's quite a weak man, right? He's a big man, he's quite a bit violent, but he killed Jeffrey Howe in his sleep. In his sleep. A 49-year-old man that could not fight back at all. You could, that, that doesn't make this man someone that's going to make himself in prison. But you know what will make it easier for him in prison? If they think he's connected to some organised crime firm. And he is the person that they have relied on to get rid of and cut up bodies for them. <laughs> Listen, organised crime are a lot of things, right? There are a lot of things. We could call them a lot of things. But stupid is not one of them. This Stephen Marshall is absolutely so bad at his job if you if you want to call it a job because don't get me wrong right don't get me wrong organized crime do have people and we've said it before on the, on the members bit behind it we just done a case on um, organized crime they do have people like this of course they do right but would they choose someone like stephen marshall to do their dirty work now, the dirty work in this case would be to whether you've killed that person or you just need to dismember that person, depending on what your job is. The reliance on this man to not get caught, right? Get rid of them body parts in such a way you are not getting caught. No, I don't think they would have that reliance in him. I don't. Plus, You'll pay quite a lot of money, you know, to be some assassin, you know, for these people. And again, we've talked about this before. So do I believe that Stephen Marshall worked for organised crime in the 90s? He may have worked for organised crime in the 90s as a bouncer in the clubs running the drugs or the raves. Probably. That's what many of them did. But do I believe that they've then hired... Stephen Marshall to become like the Iceman. You know, an American, I think this is probably what he's watched, who was deadly. He worked for the mob. He was the hitman for the, the mob. And if they put a hit out on you, mate, you, your body was never going to be found. I think Stephen Marshall, this Stephen Marshall, this person that says that he has admitted in court not only to that one murder, but to four others and dismembering bodies for organised crime, is a load of bullshit. Absolutely. It's a man that's trying to save himself when he's going to prison to go in there as a protected man, right? That's what he's trying to do. When you look at Stephen Marshall's character, that's what he's trying to do. If I go into a mainstream prison, because I'm going to get a lifetime of it in there, I have to go in with them fearing me or respecting me because that's what he wanted. Respect. Not from the people in the courtroom, not from the general public, from the inmates. This is what it's all about, the inmates. How are they going to react to me now? Really, that's what it's about. It's a fantasist, absolutely. 
he is. No way on this earth someone as thick as this who would do this sort of crime, leave body parts, leave evidence to where you're going to get caught, would work for any organised crime people in that sort of position, really. And he had no money, he couldn't afford rent. He couldn't afford rent. If you've always got rid of bodies for organised crime, you've done four of them, they would hire you to do more, wouldn't they? You'd be able to pay your rent. You'd probably be able to buy the bloody house in Southgate. Absolute liar. The man's a liar. And I believe so is she. But that's my opinion. I'd like to hear yours. Now we have to talk about this crime family that he says he worked for, right? He said between 1995 and 1998 he did work for this Adams crime family uh, as a doorman. He was a doorman uh, in this London nightclub. Now listen, as I said, you know, I've said it. I know many, many bouncers that, you know, that are or were at that time into organised crime and probably still are and have worked their way up, but not to this level. Uh, he says um, that he dismembered bodies between uh, for for these people between 1995 and 1998. So why didn't they keep him on? So, and he says this Adams crime family, right, were who we worked for in this nightclub. And his admissions were a surprise to the police because the police checked it out and they couldn't find anyone missing or, you know, you know, not found, which was related to this, this crime people. Also, he then refused to give any further details about that. Listen, if you'd been a hitman for any crime family, you wouldn't be telling any of it. Not any of it. I think it's only right that we have to now investigate, really, and look into these so-called, um, well, not so-called, to tell you the truth, we're going to talk about the Adams family's um, criminal background, right? So, um, I think we have to, we can't leave it, because the minute Stephen Marshall said that he was, well, one is alleged that he was actually the nephew of Terry Adams, which is the uh, boss of this syndicate and it's the uh, um, clerkinal um, uh, criminal syndicate uh, coming out of London, Islington, Islington, London. He's actually said, and it's been alleged, that he says he's the nephew of um, Terry Adams, right, this boss. And, you know, I think as we've gone through this case and we've sort of highlighted about the murder, um, what you can do about the murder, and where he's gone to court, he's denied, 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 gone into court, and then in court, for no reason at all, absolutely no reason at all, he's then come out and said that he was a hitman, I suppose, or, you know, uh, d dismembered bodies for this syndicate. Now, I still don't believe him, but I think it's best that we look into this syndicate because most of you would not have heard if you're not from, um, you know, the UK about this family. Now, listen, everything I'm going to say about the Adams family is alleged apart from some money laundering stuff, this, that and the other, right? It's alleged. So it's alleged that they are probably one of the most dangerous, um, feared crime gangs in you know this country really 
they've got links to other drug cartels and stuff uh, in the US and other places like that as many of these um, syndicates would have right these criminal syndicates they would have now probably in Europe and everywhere else I think they're sort of they started you know 80s and 90s really you had this Terry Adams that um, and his brothers and I'll name the brothers in a minute um, he was the leader and he really it was, I think there's 11 brothers and sisters they're not all um, related in any way to this or any other crimes right it's only alleged really um, about three or four of these brothers that are to do with the criminal underworld now the reason I keep saying alleged because they haven't gone to prison for it they've gone to prison for, prison for money laundering and this that and the other but they're linked to about 25 gangland murders um, the, the gold heists and all this sort of stuff they're linked to you know they're worth estimated worth of this criminal gang this Adams family or the A-team or the um, Clerkenwell um, crime syndicate is worth over 200 million pounds that's their estimated worth really it's a lot of money so my issue is with someone like Stephen Marshall saying that he was linked in any way to these gangs and as I've said it was probably right that he was working for them as a doorman on the nightclubs in the 90s because as I've said in the 90s with all the raves and everything the doorman the criminal gangs run the clubs that's why now nightclubs have got so many restrictions on them you know the regulations and stuff and it's not viable anymore for criminal gangs really to run these clubs it's not money making anymore there's plenty of other ways of making money where you haven't got to go through all these regulations and stuff like that and I think yes I believe he was a bouncer on the door in one of these clubs probably run either by this criminal gang or others in that area and um, he must have seen a lot of things then and I'm not saying that any criminal family like these or any other criminal syndicates or whatever like that do not chop up bodies I'm not saying that I'm saying they don't usually chop up bodies of someone like Jeffrey Howe who has got nothing to do with any criminal underworld at all at all there was no reason for the dismemberment of that body other than I think Stephen Marshall was playing some sort of a game right he actually thought he could get away with murdering Jeffrey Howe and dumping that body like that it's like he's playing a game with the police so my only question here is was when you have a syndicate like this powerful people that started to decline about 2010 anyway in their power a lot of these members um, were killed in prison because of the gang rivalry you know if you have now a family syndicate that is worth 200 million someone is always going to want to take control of that aren't they they really are and so this is my issue with Stephen Marshall he doesn't fit the profile of someone that would be hired by these people especially someone like um, Terry Adams who has made sure all his life that he hasn't been connected to anything so why would he hire someone 
so stupid, really, as Stephen Marshall to carry out anything other than being a doorman, if he did, if he did. I think the allegations of Stephen Marshall being his nephew, I don't know, I can't find anything to say that he's refuted that or whatever. They certainly haven't said anything about the allegations of that Stephen Marshall has made about them saying that he'd chopped up four bodies and dumped them for the, this syndicate. He hasn't said anything, uh, you know, no one has. But my other issue, you see, is if Stephen Marshall's telling the truth, right, and you are meant to be related to this family, and you've done that, and you've stood up in coal, and you said, for them, I have killed and dismembered four other bodies, but I'm not saying anymore. I mean, what criminal gang is going to let you live after saying that, really, if, if it's true, right, if it's true, because some point down the line, you're going to talk, or they may think you're going to talk, and if you're one of my members, we've been discussing um, gangland killings and stuff over the last couple of weeks, you would understand that this sort of criminal lifestyle, you know, you never speak they can't take the chance because none of these brothers and especially you know when you're talking about Terry Adams there's no way that Terry Adams would allow anybody anybody to have some hold over him like that and still be alive if the allegations against Terry Adams are true that he is this massive boss of this massive criminal syndicate worth over 200 million any man or any business really any director of a company that can turn over can turn over 200 million is a very sensible man again coming back to my point why would anyone hire someone like Stephen Marshall to do this sort of a crime they just wouldn't would they really I think the only um, criminal um, thing against um, Adams, uh, Terry Adams himself, is uh, money laundering. That was it, and I think he's had to pay back legal fees of four point seven million. He's had to pay uh, costs of eight hundred thousand. This sort of thing. I think proceeds of crime have come into it, but you know about what eight hundred thousand. I think something like that. Uh, uh, a few of them, a few of the brothers. Now the brothers are Terry, um, I've got them wrote down here, there's so many of them. So we've got Terry, and he's the main one, then we've got Patrick, and then we've got Tommy, and there was another one. Um, but none of these people, I don't think, would associate themselves with someone like Stephen Marshall. Because none of these want to go to prison for the rest of their life. Do you see what I mean? So the reason why I think that um, Stephen Marshall is one still alive in prison is because none of what he says about his links to the criminal underworld is true. It just really isn't. It's impossible for it to be true because if it was true, the risk of him saying something about the bodies, about putting these people in the frame for these sort of murders,
um, it just it just couldn't happen. It just wouldn't happen. And so that's why I don't believe him. I just don't. So if any of you out there know anything about um, Stephen Marshall's claim of being related, the nephew of Terry Adams, or Terry Adams out there yourself, if you'd like to refute it, that's, you know, that'd be great. I'll get Lacey to have a look at the birth records and see what we can find out that way. But whether he is a relative of them or not, to, to bring them up in court unnecessarily, to mention them by name, he done it, and that's what he stated to a witness. I done that, this crimes, for four murders and dismemberment of bodies for the Adams family. That's what he stated. As I've stated before about Stephen Marshall, he murdered Geoffrey Hale, really through greed. He wanted Geoffrey's flat, he wanted the money, he sold the cars, you know, he had the young girlfriend, you know, she was naive, she was stupid as well, but she was still part of it. This is not the character of somebody, really, that um, belongs to this sort of syndicate, right? It doesn't. Then the thing is you've got with Marshall is that he knew as the evidence against him was so you know overwhelming really evidence against him because he's a stupid criminal. He's a stupid murderer really because he murdered someone, stabbed this man in the back in his own home, dismembered that body in the bathroom knowing, I mean thought he'd give it a good old clean but you cannot clean up that much DNA evidence. You cannot. There's always going to be stuff left around and blood stains anywhere under the tiles. Blood will just go anywhere. When you're chopping up a body in a bathroom, right, in a small everyday bathroom, you know, not I think massive, it was small. And, you know, Jeffrey Howe was quite a large man. You're going to have skins, you're going to have stuff laying around where you think you've got it but you just can't see it until everything's ripped to pieces and then the police come in and they put on the Illumino and then they find what they're looking for. This is what happened. But then to leave the trail, right, of body parts, what you've cut up yourself in holdalls that you've owned with probably your DNA on them as well. You know, this is not a sensible killer. This isn't someone, I think one night, probably what happened here was Stephen Marshall and Sarah Bush sat there and think, mm, we need some money, he's got loads, we'll kill him. And I think that's really what happened. I think it was just, we're gonna kill him. I don't think there was much plan to it. We're gonna chop the body up, we'll dump it. Because where are you gonna put a body these days, really? You know, really, where are you going to put a body? And I think this was the whole thing with this case from start to finish. He's not a sensible murderer. He didn't try and hide a body. He actually scattered the body like he was staying, playing some game with the police. And this is why this jigsaw murder is called that, because it was like a jigsaw to try and put together. He was playing games, but he knew, no matter how much he denied, how much he had said in no comment interview, that evidence was coming in. The data evidence, you know, you, you've used the man's card, you've wrote checks to yourself from the man, 
you've sold his car, you've filled up petrol in your car but with his number plates, knowing there's CCTV up there. This is not an intelligent man here. This is not someone that would work for a syndicate worth over £200 million. No way on this earth. There's no way. I think he's a total liar. I think he'd done it because in prison there's a hierarchy and we spoke about this before. And if you are in a large gang or a member of a criminal gang, you are higher up on that scale, aren't you? Stephen Marshall said all this bullshit, all this lies he manifested in his mind as he knew the police and the courts and the prosecution had got enough evidence to put this man away for the rest of his life for this terrible murder, this terrible murder, really, of Jeffrey. It was just terrible. And this was his elaborate plan to make his life in prison better. That's what I believe. But if you know anything different, or anyone out there knows anything different, then let me know. Because I'll be very interested in what you've got to say if you had any dealings with Stephen Marshall at that time. It would be really interesting. After the trial, it was revealed that Marshall had previous convictions. They always usually do. His was um, criminal damage, assault and battery, um, possession of a firearm, cocaine uh, possession. He also attacked his first wife in 2003. So the attack on his wife as well, I think on his first wife, and that was... Um, he was sort of arrested for that and he was also arrested on suspicion of murdering somebody else in 1996 um, when his burnt body was found um, he was never charged and instead appearing as a witness now Sarah Bush had two convictions or, or prior cautions not convictions of cannabis and assault so in total really um, <laughs> Stephen Marshall got 36 years before he's eligible for parole. That means it'll be 74 before he comes out, or is eligible to even come out, if he survives that long on his stories. I think he went, he appealed this, he appealed the 36 year sentence saying it was too long, and that was in uh, October 2010, that was refused. Uh, so um, by the uh, two court of appeal judges uh, in November 2010, so he will do 36 years in prison, as a minimum, 36 years, and to tell the truth, I don't think it's enough. I, I just don't. I mean, you know, not only have you admitted to one murder and, and, and you know, Jeffrey Howe was an innocent man that tried to help you and you, you killed him and chopped up his body and just dumped him like he's bloody rubbish. And then he appeals his, cat, his, his sentence of 36 years because he thinks it's too long. I mean... The mentality of some of these people. Listen, anyway, this has been the Jigsaw murder. Uh, quite a shocking case, really, when you think about it. Um, from all areas. But also, it's one of the most cases that I feel legally is, is a strange case because the way it was um, pleaded, not guilty, I've just never heard of it. And then three weeks into the trial, you plead guilty, and then you come out of all this stuff, which you didn't need to say. There was no need for him to say any other, you know, admit to anything else, and he admits to four others of doing this for this crime family to make himself, though, feel and look better because he knows he's going to spend the rest of his life in prison. He knows it. 
he knows it. I don't know. I mean, do you think, right, do you think Stephen Marshall, well, we know he's a killer. Do you believe his story? Do you believe that he worked for, you know, serious criminal families, disposed of bodies for them? Because let me be honest, though, when I say this, the, to dismember a body is not easy. And the dismembering of this body was really good, right? It would appear to rather, you know, it's like some a butcher working with it or something. He would have had to have some knowledge. But again, I come back to, he may have seen it before. He may have learned that. There was no rush to get rid of this body, all right? He wasn't rushed. I mean, Christ, you can look at it on Google, can't you, really? You can. But, you know, so it's not impossible that he didn't know what he was doing. Of course, anyone can learn to cut up a body easily. It's not that easy, but you can learn. Or had he really done it before? You know, had he really done it? But if he'd really done it, the mentality of someone like him to say that he's done it, well, there's no reason for him to say that he's done it, makes me feel that he hasn't, really. Because he had no money, he had no ties to anyone else, he was living in someone else's property, he was working a normal job. This isn't what someone that works for crime families, as someone that would chop up bodies, dismember bodies for you and get away with, would do. It's just for me, if you've watched the movie Iceman, I think he did. And I think he's took it from that. But let me hear, let me know what you think. It'd be really interesting to know what you think about this case. Um, I just find legally, you know, it's a fascinating case, really. But our faults again have to go, don't they, to Geoffrey Howe, this 49-year-old man that lost his life either on the 8th or 9th, you know, uh, in uh, of, of March in 2009. His life was ended, however way you want to look at it, by Stephen Marshall. An innocent man, kind man, friendly man, a man that would give you a room, a roof over your head because you didn't have anything. That's the sort of man that Geoffrey Howe was and how very, very sad, very, very sad for him and very, very sad for anyone that knows him and his family. Really, really sad. So thank you for watching. Until the next time, bye-bye.